Hi, I'm Jamie, and I am the creator of One World, Your Story, where we bring people together. And right now, we need this more than ever. The murder of George Floyd, the latest of countless Black Americans to be murdered at the hands of police in America, has set off a chain reaction across the United States. People are angry, people are hurt, and rightfully so. We cannot stand by and allow this to continue any longer. It's time to use our voices and bring this conversation out into the open for good. So join us for this episode of The Floyd Files. Being silent right now is not, it's not, it's not helping anyone. I am here with Deanna Smith. Um, and can you hear me okay, Deanna? I can hear you great. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you perfect. Okay. Right. Um, so we have known each other for almost two years now. Um, and we used to work together in diversity and inclusion. Um, and so it really felt like a natural thing for me to do to come to talk to you about what, what is going on right now because of the work that we did together and, of course, the stuff that I saw you posting. Um, and so I just want to thank you for having this conversation with me. Um, and I guess just to kick things off, um, would love to know why you said yes. Why do you want to have this conversation about racism in America with me? So, you know, I was thinking about that a little yesterday, too. In fact, uh, I don't know if I wanted to have a conversation is it's quite adequate um, because I definitely don't want to have this conversation. In fact, I'm like mentally exhausted. And uh, but I feel like we have to have this conversation. And I think it's important that you and I have this conversation um, again, we've known each other for about two years. Uh, we've talked about every topic under the sun. And one of the things that I've realized is when it comes to race in America, like we're both very, um, we're lucky to not only have each other, but other people who are open to have this conversation who are of different races. Absolutely. Many people do not have that, right? So usually our circle, our family, et cetera, they look like us, they tend to have, you know, similar beliefs, et cetera, but we don't get the input of someone from the other side, right, mm. of the equation. And you and I are lucky enough to do that. And I'm lucky enough just through the work that we do um, to be able to do this on a regular basis. So, so Jamie, the reason I agreed to do this is, first of all, I think the work you're doing is phenomenal. Um, I'm glad that you've shifted to um, be able, you have the flexibility to be able to kind of move into focusing on racism in America right now amongst the other work that you're doing. But I think it is essential that we have these conversations and you and I having them in private is great, but us having them where other people who don't have someone that's black to talk to or don't have someone that's white to talk to these conversations, I think it's important for them to be able to be a part as well. I could not agree more. Now, I want to dig into that. Like, okay, because say if I don't have somebody that's black to talk to or you don't have somebody that's white to talk to, like, do you think that it's important right now for somebody that is white to be having these conversations with somebody who's black and people that are white? Or 
and I'm asking because, you know, I've asked a lot of people to talk to me about this discussion, this particular topic, I should say. And with the feedback that I've gotten from my white friends is that it's not our place. Interesting. We, we shouldn't be the ones talking about it, especially given that I'm white. I shouldn't be talking to somebody else that's white about it on this kind of public platform. Mm-hmm. I personally feel like <laughs> we, the white people, even allies, and I want to talk about allyship, there's mm-hmm. like this uncomfortableness. Even if I feel like I am an ally, I don't feel like it's my place to talk about it. Not me personally, I'm speaking for some other white people and saying that like, no, like we shouldn't be the one having the voices. We need to step down and let other people have the voices. But I feel like me as a white person right now, I mean, how many years does this have to go on? And the Black Lives Matter movement for white people to realize, hey, by the way, we're the ones that actually can make the difference right now. Just like, you know, gay marriage, I identify as queer. It was the straight allies that actually were the ones that were able to make the difference and the impact. So I would love to know your opinion on that. Yeah, I I mean, absolutely. So one of the things that I think is is really interesting is like within the Black community, there are certainly certain topics that we're like, we got this. We don't need your input. You know, everybody has an opinion and this is our culture, our children, our ancestors. Like we get certain things and like, let us have this conversation without you wanting to interject. And you give an example of like, what would that be? So, um, like, I, when I think about Black-on-Black crime, right, that's something within our community that me reaching out to you and um, white people can be as, can be behind it as much as possible. They can care as much as possible, but I don't think they can have the kind of impact on that particular, in that particular area, totally. right? So that's something within our families, talking within our, our communities, our neighbors, our children, our whatever, like getting to the root of it and being able to make an impact there. Um, that being said, are there going to be people of other races that have opinions about it, et cetera? Of course. And so it is what it is. But I think in particular about racism in America, and to, let's just be blunt, you know, what we're talking about right now is white supremacy. And yep. what we're talking about right now is um, people feeling that they have the right to take life, um, et cetera, because of a person's um, skin, their ethnicity, et cetera. So we're specifically, I can't fix that problem. I'm not white. I cannot be, I am not a white supremacist. I cannot be a white supremacist, right? However, you know, I am definitely, I have to, I guess, pay for that crime, right? So someone does something against any black man, woman, et cetera, it affects me, whether it affects me directly, definitely emotionally. And we'll talk a little bit more about the, you know, the depth of this emotionally and mental health wise, but we have to have these conversations. White allies have to have these conversations. You have a seat at tables that I do not have a seat at. You have family and friends that you can relate to that are open to hearing your opinion that would automatically kind of shut down if I was even having that conversation because they don't want to seem like they may be racist. They don't want to ask the right, the wrong questions, et cetera. And it's such an uncomfortable topic. Um, do we think that all white people want to like, don't care about black people, don't care about black lives, et cetera. Of course not. We don't think that, but we think that there's enough that do feel that way. Um, 
that it is something has to be done about it. And we've been we've been saying the same thing for how many years? I mean, like I won't even get into the depth of the historical context, whether we go to slavery, civil rights, et cetera. We're having the same conversations, same topics. I saw several clips this week, Martin Luther King talking about riots and talking about police brutality, the exact same thing, you know, 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. So we've got to do something different. So it is imperative that you are having these conversations. Now, as far as you're interviewing other people that are, are white and getting their opinions, I think that that's important also because again, we can't fix this. So what, what are your thoughts on there? I think you help disarm people when they hear two people that look like them, that sound like them, talking about a topic that's very uncomfortable, talking about solutions that actually work for them. My solutions are not gonna be the same as um, you know, some people of different races. So I think it's, I think it's important. I do understand the sensitivity of it. I do understand people not wanting to um, step on toes because it is a very sensitive topic. But look, the, the uncomfortableness in this, you know, we, we've got to push that to the side so that we can start making some change. Yeah, I was going to say, thank you for all that you said. Um, I think the point that I really want to reiterate is what you were talking about, white supremacy, because that is the problem right mm -hmm. now. Okay, Racism is a problem, don't get me wrong, but yeah. in my opinion, it is a, a byproduct of white supremacy, right? Absolutely. Which, by the way, we have to go back in history to talk about that. Yes. It stems from well, Columbus, right? Like came and immediately like grouped two different groups apart and made the white people on top. And slavery, it was about economics, right? It's race is made up. It's about how can we separate groups and make one group better than the other? And in this country, it's the white people. And it started with slavery and it was about getting more money, right? And that's why the, all of these things are so intertwined. And really which are. is why the conversation can't be about getting white people to like black people. That won't solve it. We have to actually talk about the systems that perpetuate yeah. this stuff, right? Yeah. Which are historically and still are run by white people and white men, which is why Absolutely. we have to be talking to them about it. And they will receive it differently from me than they might from you, for example, which is bullshit, but it is the case right now. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when we talk about white supremacy, like, you know, I think everybody gets this uh, visual of like Ku Klux Klan, right? Which certainly is an example of white supremacy. Uh, but there's so many other ways that it perpetuates itself in our day-to-day -day life and um, in society. So well, I think... Yeah, I think that people don't realize how prevalent, I mean, from corporate America to, I mean, you know, I'll just bluntly say, you know, our, our president is a white supremacist. So when you have a white supremacist leading the free world, the, the fact that he was able to get elected and the fact that he is has so much power is a scary thing. And I think that it has added some transparency to this thing. I think depending on where you live, you know, look, I... Early, I was born in LA, so I have kind of the whole California thing, but I was raised in New Orleans, right? I was like, what? I thought you were from yeah, New Orleans. I don't know if you ever knew that, yeah. Uh, so, born in, I mean, look, that's how I was like six or seven, right? And then this, been in the South ever since then. Um, and so, being from New Orleans 
and living and having gone to college in DC, like having these different kind of perspectives, I can tell you if you were in the Northeast and you, you know, white supremacy looks different in different places, I'll put it that way. And later, if we need some like specific examples of that, happy to do that. Um, but it tends to be a little more blatant, um, you know, down south sometimes, but it still exists. And police brutality is one of those ways. The education system, when we talk about things that happen in schools and et cetera, um, you know that I do these trainings on bias and unconscious biases. And I do believe that we, we inherently have some unconscious biases, but I also think we have some conscious biases that we consciously, we know exist, Amen. we're okay with. And we keep, and so it's not okay for us to just pretend that all biases are unconscious. Some of them are, are, are very conscious and white supremacy is at the root of this. So I wanted, the reason I wanted to point out the difference is because as a white person, as you're hearing these conversations right now about racism, about what happened in Minneapolis and uh, Louisville, you know, I can give just in the past week, two weeks, probably four or five different examples. Um, there is this natural thing for us to be like, well, wait, like all white people aren't prejudiced. All white people aren't, nobody's saying that they are. Like, tuck that away somewhere. We don't have time for that right now. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about white supremacy. We're talking about your ability to um, help decrease the effects of white supremacy in America. That's what we're talking about. Nothing else. No one's accusing you of being anything. But being silent right now is not, it's not, it's not helping anyone. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll get into, like, I guess, allyship. You know, you and I have had these conversations too about what, what can you do. People are so worried about doing the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing that we've got to get past that. Like, lives are at stake here. Yeah. And we've got to figure something out. So before we get into allyship, let's, we have to talk about that uncomfortableness, the fucking political correctedness that we're supposed to abide to and adhere to in this country yes. that, in my opinion, perpetuates the racism because we can't talk about it and we're so uncomfortable. It's like, it's that, uh, it's the silent killer. Yeah. That's actually not so silent anymore, but it still is in so many ways. So it's like, What's worse, being silent, not saying something because you're uncomfortable or having a conversation and maybe offending somebody because you say the wrong thing? I don't know. Like, what do you think about that? Because there's so many white people, my friends included, I've talked to them. They're like, I would love to talk about this stuff. Yes. I yes. can't. I'm going to get ripped apart. Yes. So how do we change that? Because by the way, it was even for myself, I was terrified to do this. Sure. As you know, we've talked about it privately. I can talk about it with the DNI lens, you know, sure. when I'm talking to companies about that. But if it's just me, Jamie, white girl in America, come on. Like, yeah. So I said, like, fuck it. Because I read that Martin Luther King Jr. quote. Yeah. Said, you know, it's not the actions of our enemies that we're going to remember, but the silence of our friends. And holy shit, did that hit me hard? And I was like, okay, like it's time. Yeah, absolutely. It, okay, so you said several things that I think are important. So the one thing is like, you know, what is worse, being silent or like offending someone, right? So here's the thing. Um, and so I can I can talk to to black people now also about like our role in this. Part of our role in allowing uh, allyship and being able to accept allyship is to 
put our guard down. Like, you know, it's one of those things. It's like two people can say the same exact thing, but it's like where it's coming from that can be mm-hmm. different. So as black people, we tend to be sometimes hypersensitive about race. We just are. And there's several reasons. And I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, understandably so. Right. Our ancestors were slaves, for God's sake. Like we, you know, these conversations are uncomfortable. Um, and so, and we're used to dealing with bullshit, to be honest with you. We're used to people taking shots or saying dumb shit and not wanting to like own their stuff. So yeah, you, you tend to, and you grow up that way. Mm. You know, like I have children and this starts in like elementary school. Oh, mom, well, so-and-so well, like you know, said whatever. And, and I was going to say, did you, did you read the book? So you want to talk about race that I did for book club? And I did not. And I have to read the book. I, I truly, for anybody that's listening right now or will listen. So you want to talk about race? I really believe should be required reading in America. And to your point of what you're talking, it starts when you're born. The author yeah. relates racism to abuse. It's yeah. like it, this slow seeping and sometimes not so slow, like punching yeah. the arm over and over and over again. And yeah. at some point, somebody's going to come and maybe they're just going to tap you. But that's the straw that broke the camel's back when you say, what the fuck? And then the uh, white person on the other end is like, well, that's not that big of a deal. Like, that's not racist. And you're like, yeah, it is. But it's all of the abuse coming out at that time that is. we're not getting. And you just exactly. have to. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, 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 and it starts with simple things like, you know, with women, um, <laughs> you know, having colleagues or people that uh, even I remember um, the, high school, the high school that I went to was majority white. It was all girls Catholic school. Of my of my life, actually, but yeah, I went to all girl, um, predominantly white high school, and had to deal with a whole lot for the first time. To be honest with you, (laughs) because um, like in most communities, being in New Orleans, New Orleans tends to be very segregated, just in your normal day to day. But then we all get together, we party, we have fun. You know, there's like there's no issue there, whatever. Then you go back on Monday to work, and it's the same old bullshit. So, but you don't have to deal. It's a very interesting. Um, anyway, I, I, that's a whole other, um, <laughs> yeah, a whole other topic to get into that we could talk about some other time. But um, my point is, is that I had friends there that were like, you know, wanted to touch my hair. Oh, literally just because your hair was different than theirs. They never have. And they didn't know that it would feel different. Like, gosh, your hair looks so whatever. And just, and they don't mean any harm. But I'm sorry, like, you're not going to pet me like a fucking dog. I can't. Now, and this, the person asking is not coming from that place at all. But for me, because of how negative society is about black hair and about being naturally who we are and whether it's professional, unprofessional, um, things that in the black community that we have our own issues around here, just to be honest, and it seems like a something small, but it's something that as a child growing up, you hear negative. And so you become very protective here. Absolutely. And so for someone to just, again, you know, and it's happened to my daughter. It's like young, four years old, you know, that that child doesn't mean any harm whatsoever. And my daughter's, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> don't touch my hair, you know? And so right then, the little four-year-old white classmate is forever stunted, remembers reaching out to someone they thought was a friend because mm. of something unknown that they didn't know. And 
they were totally offended. Or my child goes to tell the teacher, my friend so-and-so who happens to be white is like, is touching my hair. They're in my personal space because that's how we feel about it. And so that little girl who nothing around race or nothing or whatever remembers that. It starts super, super early. I say all that to say that as part of the black community, and one of the things I've been really thankful that my work in diversity and inclusion, um, some of the experiences I've had in life have allowed me to put my guard down. You know, like it's really like, I am not, you could ask me anything. Like literally you could ask me anything about race, anything about a stereotype or whatever. And I'm going to share my opinion on it, right? Now, I don't speak for all Black people either. Let's keep that in mind. <laughs> totally. This is me personally. And we're going to have a conversation about it. Um, however, I do have many Black friends, family members, et cetera, that if you ask them, they're like, you know, why are you asking me that dumb shit? Like, stop fucking offending me by going, mm. you know, it's very, it's a very personal, so... I think that it's important for us a couple things. One is for us to remember where things are coming from when people are asking questions. Two, for white allies, you need to make sure you're in a comfortable environment. You've spent time getting to know the person and being in a comfortable exchange where this is not going to be taken offensively either because the last thing you want to do is offend someone. And I'm sorry, just because it's not your intent to offend has nothing to do with it if you offend the person, right? So just like it's not your intent to be racist, but you might be, and you have to just accept that and hear the other person. Right. Yeah. And because you are not in a Ku Klux Klan and because you think it was wrong for people to burn crosses does not mean that you're not racist. It does not. Amen. Mean not racist. So that's why I said it looks different in a lot of different areas. And we can talk about like on the work side, you know, you and I, we can talk all day about in corporations, you know, how people choose people that they're comfortable with. That's people that have a background similar to theirs. Um, you know, black women tend to get labeled as like angry black women if they're like protesting things or if we feel a certain way about things. So we do one or two things. If we want to make it to corporate America, we learn to calm ourselves down, right? We're naturally expressive and passionate about whatever, you learn to tone it down, or it falls on deaf ears because it's like, oh my gosh, she's mad. You know, she's mm. she's angry. So we've all, we've, we've communication, I think, is a big part of it. But after communication is like action. And as we talk through this, I think really talking about like action that we can do, um, especially as allies, is going to be important. Yeah. So let's talk about allyship. I mean, it's hard because there's so many different areas that I could dig into. And actually, no, before we do, because you're bringing up the corporate stuff and it's, you know, diversity and inclusion, it's a hot topic. It's just become a buzzword. And unfortunately, I think that more companies are just trying to capitalize on it to make themselves look good rather than actually doing anything and solving the problem. Right. Um, which is unfortunate. And it's also like acceptable now to talk about DNI in the workplace. Yeah. yeah. But what about outside of the workplace? What about in real life? Like that's the kind that's in my opinion where it's not as blatantly obvious unless it is. It's either really obvious or it's that kind of like secret, secret silent killer that I'm talking about. Yeah. So like, how I, do we, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say like, how do we, 
you're right. There's conscious biases, but there's a lot of like that woman, uh, Amy, at the park yeah. Yeah. in New York. Okay, Central yeah. Park. She, from what I know from the research that I've done is that she was liberal, right? Which we would assume somebody that's liberal, at least I would assume. I'll speak yeah. for myself. Someone yeah. that's liberal probably yeah. isn't racist, right? Or co- overtly. Overtly, right, right. right. And she probably felt that way about herself. I'm sure she did. But there's this unconscious stuff that that literally from the day that you're born in this country as a yeah. white person, yeah. just yeah. all the stuff, whether Absolutely. or not we want to be, right? Absolutely. And so there was something in her that knew from the yeah. history of living in this country that she could say that. Yeah. And it and came out. She, does, yeah, it came out. That's what I was going to say. It came... It came, and I'm sure her rewatching that video, well, I'm not sure, but I would assume her rewatching that video is probably like, you know, oh my God, I can't believe like that I did that or that I said that, et cetera. But what's interesting to me about the whole Central Park thing is that that whole exchange was about privilege. Who are you yeah. to tell me what to do? <laughs> who, who, like, who the fuck do you think you are? That you're going to tell me after my dog on leash? Even though there's signs everywhere, he didn't, you know, he... He didn't do it. There was nothing that he asked or said wrong. Nothing. So that whole, like, exchange and for and the whole, like, I'm scared of you thing, like, you know, is really interesting, too, especially when you, like, I've seen videos, his demeanor and everything, nothing that I, that I would think um, would make a person scared. But it was that purpose, like, who the fuck are you to tell me what to do? And do you know, I will call the police because I know, because you and I both know what they'll do to you, right? Exactly. That, that. Is, you and I both know what they'll do to you. And you know, they'll believe me because I'm a white woman. Exactly. So you know exactly. Which, which there was a, this, I think she was like a 911 operator or something or the litigator. Someone said, I, you know how often this happens, but we never have the video proof. To yes. say, hey, actually, you were never a threat. Yeah, exactly. It would ruin his life if there was no video there. And she probably would have. Let me tell you, it has happened over and over and over and over. We talk yep. about, you know, it, it, there are so many different examples of Black men who have been incarcerated their entire lives oh, for things that they didn't disgusting. have to do. Or lynched, or yeah. et cetera, right? Does that mean that all white women would do that? Of course not. Again, no, and okay, somebody. This is where I get this is where I can speak to this because I am white and I know these middle class, upper middle class white women that act like they love everyone, and then words come out of their mouth sometimes. And I look at them and I'm like, Do you know what did you just say? Um, this is the exact woman and the reason why white people need to be talking to each other about this. Absolutely. This is the white supremacy that you're talking about. Absolutely. And you saying, what did you just say? That is what allyship is. That is what you do to make a difference. When you're having conversations, if your family members are comfortable saying racist bullshit in your presence, there is a problem. <laughs> yeah, my family. My family is not. They know if they say yeah. something. Yeah. I'm not saying you. I'm sorry. I'm not saying you. But I mean, in general, right? In general. Like if yeah, if your family and friends who know you are comfortable saying things in front of you, it doesn't mean that they think you feel the same way, but it means that they 
that you're okay, like you're going to let them speak their piece. You're not going to call them on it, et cetera. Once you start calling people on stuff, I mean, nobody usually inherently wants to just be like, just be like a piece of shit. Nobody wants to just be like that. There are some people that do, but usually if, if, if a person is in mixed company and they know that they're going to offend someone, they don't say certain shit. If they don't think that you are going to be offended, then you met, you might be, or maybe part of the problem. Well, and that's the exact thing is like white people know that they can just say, or they think not know that they yes. can say whatever they want because we don't call each other out. You, you're right. And, and also, I also, I think because most of the time we don't even realize it. Yes. To be able to and call right. each other out. So it starts with educating ourselves on what actually are we saying that could yeah. be racist or offensive. And it's Absolutely. not calling each other out to be like, you're an asshole. It's like, hey, do you know what you just said? Yeah, like, exactly. Because if you, if you had a child that was special needs and you're talking to people and people are talking shit about children with special needs, I guarantee you, you're going to be offended. You're going to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> right. You're going to feel the need to say something. There's something you really, really care about. And it's something that you're going to, you know, you're going to be vocal about it. It's the same thing about race. Like if it doesn't bother you, then you may be part of the problem. Yep. If you're not offended by it, then you may be part of the problem. Now I can say the same thing in the black community, right? And the and the within the black community, we have very strong, not we as a whole black community. So let me rephrase that. Um, there are a lot of people who are African American or who are black who have had experiences and who feel uh, certain ways about white white people, right? So we we will say general things and it's really the the hurt and anger towards white supremacy mm. but it could definitely be taken that we're throwing the whole race in the pot and we're saying everyone and it's and that's not the case right so I think it's imperative on us too like when I'm having these conversations um and me and my whether it's my friends my family um etc it's important to me to distinguish the difference between white supremacists and racists versus just white in general. Um, if you look over history, we have definitely every, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for us to feel the way that we feel about white, about white people, right? And so it's become easier, especially if you think about the history of this country to put everyone, you don't have time to distinguish between mm. who's, who's racist, who's not racist, whether it's legit, whether it's not. It's like a natural safety mm. uh, thing that we do until we know that what your intent is and that you are not that way and that you care and that whatever. And then that goes away. I mean, it's literally like somebody who was in an abusive relationship is never yeah. going to open up and let you trust and, and give you their heart until you show that you're not going to hurt them in the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I hear white people say, Oh, well, black people are racist too, or black people feel, let me tell you something. Black people have dealt with so much shit and have been beat down and have, um, if we just go back again to slavery and the things that came from that and so much trauma around a particular group that I'm sorry, like whether you call it, you feel like it's racism okay. or you feel, mm -hmm. I read, sorry to cut you off, but oh, I was talking to uh, my high school uh, science teacher yesterday about race in America. Um, and he's a white man. And yes. I was really proud of him for doing it. We didn't go live because um, he wasn't comfortable. We have it recorded. I will be sharing clips. But he brought up racism against white people. And I said, wait a second. No, 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 no. 
I'm like, don't get me wrong. There's prejudice, whatever. You can say stuff like that. But I actually looked up what racism meant because I'm like, no, it can't be. And it, there's a specific line in the definition that, that disqualifies uh, white racism being possible. Yeah. Right? Racism is defined as prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Okay. That's why white people are racist against black people because it is the belief that we are the better race. Okay. Right. right. Bullshit. Right. But that's not what it is going the other way. It's prejudice. Sure. But yeah. like, definitely not racism. And, and, and that's what I try to explain to people also. So look me, it's, you know, it was so funny. I was having a conversation with my 13 year old daughter who was saying, um, it was on CNN and Martin Luther King, the third was going to be speaking on CNN. She's like, oh my God, Martin Luther King's son is still alive. And I said, well, yeah, all of his children except for one are still alive. And when he came on, he's like a middle-aged man, right? And she's like, wait, the timing of it all, blew, like yeah. for whatever reason, she can learn about Martin Luther King all of her life. It feels like it was so long it ago. Felt so long ago for her. Yeah. So when I was explaining, like, yeah, he's like your grandparents' age, you know, or in between your your great and your grandparents for sure. And um, she just literally was like kind of doing the calculation. They're like, well, wait a minute. And I have to explain to her. And, and this is how I have to put things in perspective. My parents who are not, you know, they, my parents were not allowed to vote when they turned 18. Yeah. My one generation away did not have the right to vote. Yeah, okay. wow. My mother is from Mississippi. My mother has had relatives who were directly affected. I mean, anything from hangings to not being able to deal with, there's so much I can go into about integration of schools, et cetera. Like my mother was shipped off away from her family and her home to go to school somewhere else because her mother did not want to want her to be a guinea pig in these integrated schools where she'd be harassed every day. This is not generations and generations ago. This is my parents. And so, and I can give you tons of other examples of just how close, you know, this is uh, to, to me personally. When Barack Obama won as president, my grandmother was still alive at the time and she wept, like, mm. wept like someone she knew personally, like one of her grandsons, you know, had become... But she just was so in disbelief that this could happen in her lifetime. Her grandparents were slaves. She's still alive when there's a black president. Oof, I have like such intense full body chills right now. I mean, it's like- Is she still is, alive today? She's passed away about five or six years ago. Oh, I'm um, sorry to hear that, but yeah. oh, I'm so glad she got to see that. She did. She did. And, and she ended up having getting dementia, but this was before she very much knew what she, and let me tell you, same thing with my grandmother in Mississippi, her entire life, man, the polls. So she always was like, I forget what the title is, but like over the voting, whatever polls in her area it was so important to her because she couldn't vote for more than half of her, her life. And so for her, that was like the ultimate privilege. So when we see young people being like, oh, you know, I'm not going to vote or my vote doesn't count or whatever, like to my grandmother, that's like, are you, are you, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, this is like wow. 
privilege. So, you know, I, I try to make sure that I'm talking to my children about that, but also to my white counterparts to be like, look, my there were times where my grandmother would make comments that I'd be like, oh my God, like I always, we laugh about it now, but my son um, had a sleepover and uh, we were, the part of Georgia we were in, very diverse. So he was like one of one or two black kids in his class, you know, whatever, and had a sleepover. And so it was a mixture of kids, different backgrounds. And I remember my grandmother being like, I know that, is that little white boy gonna sleep sleeping over at your house? And I know you don't let Ahmad sleep at their house, right? Which is my son. And she legitimately was like, are you out of your mind? She couldn't fathom that we would want to do that or feel safe doing that. Mm. Because you have to remember where she's coming from. Of course. And so would I be super offended? I definitely had conversation with her, super, super interesting conversations about it uh, with her. But I understood hers was coming from pain. Hers was coming from not from a word better than them and how why would you socialize with them or whatever it was literally out of fear and so we've got to look at where people are coming from with this stuff you know and when I hear white people using the excuse well there's black and it is an excuse there are black people are prejudiced or racist too like so what what are you going to do about the general good of all. And let me tell you, doing what's right for black people in America helps all of America. Talk more about that. Talk more about that. I think people need to, I know like, but you need to talk about it. Let me tell you something from a, from a business and and I'm not going to stay on the business part long at all because it's a very small part of the equation in my case, but from a business perspective, um, having an inclusive environment where you have difference of opinion, different backgrounds, different, et cetera. We live in a society where our customers, you know, are a reflection of America, which are all kind of different ethnicities, different backgrounds, et cetera. And so if we can't speak to that, and if you have an all white team of product people, marketing people, you can't speak to that. And that's when you see things like, um, you know, H&M had something a, long, a while ago where they did an advertisement totally offensive to Black people. I'm sure there was no one Black in the room because they would have easily have known that, right? Um, not having these different Black Twitter. We always, when we talk about Twitter and how many Black folk do they have working there, um, working there to understand the power of Black Twitter, which was like the whole Black Matter, Black Lives Matter movement, et cetera. They had no idea how to monetize it because you didn't even understand half the messaging or the power coming behind it. You just knew that was one of your largest user bases and you had no idea what to do with them. There's so many different examples from a, from a business perspective, but let's talk about what really matters like in life. Yeah, please. Black Americans have been here for, I mean, many of us, mine is like five or six generations. So most of my white counterparts, colleagues, friends, my family was here hundreds of years before many of them. Definitely before mine. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors. I mean, I'm kind of first generation, but my my aunt was born in Russia and my dad was born in the U.S. Yeah, come on. It's like (laughs) your family's way more American than mine. Right, and literally built this country for free off of the sweat and tears of their backs, separated from families, just the ultimate 
uh, sacrifices, yeah. right? And and more than anything, brought here against our will versus any other immigrant that's ever come here, mm. right? So when we talk about immigration, I've heard people say, okay, so there are a lot of different ethnicities that have come to America and they grab themselves by their bootstraps and they figure things out. And now they're, you know, first or second generation, they've overcome that. Like black people are using this as an excuse, et cetera. First thing you have to remember is that we did not come here willing with a plan, with a, any, we did not come here willingly. Also, we worked for free for hundreds and hundreds of years. So how many generations of wealth could have been built in cotton and farming and et cetera, but we worked for free. Ugh, you like giving slavery, me the most chill. <laughs> when slavery ended, every other ethnic group, or even as immigrants over the years were coming, they were given land, an opportunity to get started. You took people that worked for free for hundreds and hundreds of years and said, okay, now you're free to go, but starve on your own. You know, you have no base. You've been here for two or three generations, but you have no base. And we are giving land to other people, but we're not going to give it to you or help you in that way. And in fact, if you don't have a job by a certain amount of time, you're going to have to go to prison because we have a law against like being free and like not adding to society or paying taxes. So now we're going to fill the jails up with you and make you work that way. This Wait, that was a thing? Oh, it is. You didn't have a job, which was hard oh, to get absolutely. at that time. You had to pay. Oh, absolutely. You had so to be registered bad. and show that you were, that you had a job, you were contributing, that you could take care of your family. It was illegal not to. See, this is why it's important, actually, to go back to the history of it. Because you think about the jails today, it's still 40% or more. It's the same. It's exactly the same thing. And it this has is why it's the systems that have to get dismissed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has perpetuated itself. So I say that to say, now we're leading up, right? So now we're getting into this generation of like, you're free Blacks, but they don't have money. Moving into areas that they're quote unquote calling ghettos now. Um, trying to get jobs. Being discriminated against. Not years, not being able to have access to education, you know, all of this stuff. And then you have the civil rights, you know, and I'm jumping ahead of a whole lot of other bullshit that went on. You get to civil rights time, you know, where we're fighting to vote. We're fighting for schools that are equal. Um, and in the meantime, you are literally being hosed down by the police, right? You're not having the support of government, of the police, et cetera. So all of this distrust has built up over, I mean, I can't even say years, hundreds and hundreds of years. And as we look at where we are now, there's still a lot of the same bullshit going on now. There's a lot of discrimination going on. There is difference in salaries. There is uh, different in educational opportunity. I mean, there's, we could go on and on. So when you think about a, a black person feeling a certain way about white people and the history of whatever, it's just you, for the most part, have not earned our trust. And I don't know how else to put it. You have not earned our trust as a whole. Individuals, you know, can do that, et cetera. But we have no reason to think that you're going to do what's right by us. We have no reason to think that you don't think that you're better. We have no reason to think that we can trust you to do what's right. And even when we think about Christianity, right? Christianity is about loving your brother. It's about um, doing what Christ would do, right? Who was, give you the shirt off his back. 
you know, would walk amongst everyone, et cetera. Yet there's so meant so much in the church. Again, I won't just for the sake of going and not going into too much. Christianity was the base of slavery. Christianity was used for slave, be a good, honor your, you know, your owner pretty much. It's how you get in heaven. Pages of and chapters of the Bible being yes. taken out. All the stuff about how the slaves overthrew. Um, et cetera, in the Bible taken out so they wouldn't get ideas. Like it was definitely manufactured because religion and wanting to get into heaven became many slaves only. What else did you have to look forward to in life? Oh my God. So we come into now in Christianity. And I think the thing that's been so upsetting to me about Trump has been people that I know who are Christian, who are white, who are conservative. And I'm all about like, have your views about whatever you have your views about. You know, we, we think differently, fiscally conservative, this, that, and the other. But when you claim to be a Christian and to be Christ-like, but you can figure out a way to justify Donald Trump, who's like, grab him by the pussy and, you know, all these other vulgar, terrible things that he's done and said, what else could it be other than his racist, like, Nothing about him is Christ-like. So how are you justifying that? So even in church, we can't be completely trusting. So it's that, I mean, exciting. the church thing is wild. I didn't know that about the Bible. I mean, I was raised Jewish and not even very religious, more of a cultural thing. And I have my own issues with organized religion. But damn, like that is... I mean, the thing about religion that irks me so much is that, I mean, they're cults, for lack of better words. Yeah. Um, and it's all about, you know, people want the religion because it's something to believe. Sure. Like you said, what other thing is like going to give me hope than that? Yes. But when you can manipulate people's thoughts and ways of being with it, like that's where it gets really scary and it happens. And I mean, the thing about the Trump and the Christianity, and I, I get what you're saying, but the justification is always the wallet. It goes exactly. yeah, absolutely money. Yeah, money for sure has a ton to do with it. Um, you know, Ku Klux Klan, their whole organization was based on Christianity. Think about the cross really? in people's yards. They said prayers before That's and true. after. Yeah, the whole thing was based on uh, Christianity. And I'll tell you, I'm a Jesus loving something, right? Like it's uh, definitely uh, Christian, grew up Catholic. Um, etc. And it, so it's not about this. My part about this is not being um, anti-Christianity at all, but it's about using religion to manipulate people. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and so the, and that's really, you know, what it's about. And I think this country, um, of course, Judaism, also, but I think with Christianity in this country is so intertwined. And yeah, really, I mean, come on, God bless America. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's easily used as an excuse, but I really think, you know, you know, as Christian, for those that identify that way, like, how are you justifying? Um, at this point, when you know better, I feel like sometimes, like, you know, if they knew better, they do better. But when you know, and you still, yeah, it's, there are actually there's actually a white family that I can think of literally right now that is outrageously wealthy. Yeah, that literally like does work with the Pope. Yeah, that voted for Trump, and yeah. I and I had a conversation. I'm like, what the like? Yeah, 
It's a problem. This is why white people need to talk to white people. <laughs> right. Oh and my God. It fell among a thousand others. It doesn't make sense at all. To you, it's just like so blatant. Like, how could you, whatever. But for whatever reason, like psychologically, they've made sense of this and like they're okay with it. Once you like are okay with something, there's not too much that we won't do, right? Um, and to bring this back to like one of the, I was looking at the live, there was a question there about like allyship and like specifically like what white people what does allyship look like? And, and Were there questions people? that have come? I literally haven't. Yeah, there are a couple, a couple of them. So many comments. Yeah, which is anything on there that you want to address, go for it, please, because I can't pay attention to both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. So I want to talk about allyship really quickly. So yeah, when we talk about allyship and, and what we're going through right now, right, we're talking about police brutality. We're talking about murder. Um, we are... Wait, really quickly, before you get into allyship, because you were talking about the KKK and you and I yes. spoke about this privately, I just think it's really important to mention this. Yes. Okay? And we can talk about allyship. We were talking about the cop that literally had his knee on George's throat, right? Yeah. Neck. And um, what did you find out about that cop in your research? Yeah, so um, a few things. But one of the things is uh, definitely a, a Trump supporter, which in, in itself does not make you racist, right? Um, but a, a Trump supporter. But there was a, a, a photo that was published online with this police officer wearing a hat that said, make whites great again. It's on the play on the Make America Great Again, right? Um, which to me absolutely means there are some white supremacy feelings there already, right? There's some racism feelings there already. To me, having that information alone adds to our ability to say whether or not his actions were premeditated. So you yep. purposely, or you have this negative feeling towards black people that's already there. Now, what I also found out recently, Jamie, as in this morning, was that apparently they work together in security at like this restaurant nightclub for years. So, oh, wait a second. Wait, a, the cop that had his knee on oh. his neck and George works together? Yeah. So apparently, um, George was security, and this cop was like the police detail at this restaurant club. And the woman who owned the club came out and was like, "No, they both worked for me and for years." So even more reason to wonder, at least, right, whether there was some reason that he literally wanted to snuff him out. Like, did he literally want to kill him for some other? Um, so. Oh my God. Yeah, so I mean, you told me the thing about the hat. I was already like, okay, that changes the flavor of the whole thing. And, and you would think, and then the same thing has happened in the, the, uh, with Ahmad, right? Ahmad here in Georgia. And you go back and start looking at their backgrounds and the son for sure has had people in his high school come out and say, he's always been a racist. In fact, there was a joke that went around that like, yeah, I might be a redneck, but at least I'm not Travis. I think it's the same. Like, I could be like this guy. So they, how is somebody like that able to be a police officer? Now that's that, the son. That that's, that's the thing that white people need to talk about. If you see this shit and you know he's a cop, how are oh, you letting that be the case? Absolutely. And here's the thing. Like you and I said, his cop uniform became his undercover KK uniform. Absolutely. And the thing about it is, is when people try to change this conversation into a police versus black people conversation, it's absolutely not the case. I have... 
many relatives, family, friends, et cetera, that are police officers that are just upset about this shit as anyone else. In fact, they're more upset. It makes their job harder. Oh my you God, yeah. You have to walk around in the world wondering who's for us or against us. Try being a black police officer, right? And so now they have to deal with this whole, um, so don't make this about, oh, if you're supporting or you're posting about this as a white person, that means you're anti-police. It does not mean you're anti-police. It's the opposite. Police officers should be outraged that someone would put on their uniform and, you know, to justify or to live out their racist KKK, you know, dream they can't do necessarily right now as openly, they should be outraged because it affects all of them. But until you as a white person feel like that affects you also, then it's a new conversation. I'm 12% of, uh, of I'm 12% here, here in America, right, black folk. We make up 12% of the population. When you look at, whether we're looking at prisons, whether we're looking at this police brutality, et cetera, the numbers, you know, it's so far off. Yes. How can we make up 70 or 80% of this bullshit with 12% of the population? Like, it, it makes absolutely no sense. No, it's insane. But again, me talking to other Black folk about it, me being on platforms, even with other DNI, you know, one of the things that I love about my work is that I can go in rooms and talk about diversity and talk about inclusion with white men and women who are like, you know what? This shit sucks. This is not how it's supposed to be. How do we change this? Like they have a certain mindset already. Yep. And it almost can jade me into thinking that this is real life. I know, I know, I know what you mean. Because I'm around all these wonderful people from different backgrounds that really care about making a difference, that want to be fair around gender equality, around racial, around LGBTQ, you know, they just to the core feel like people or human beings should be treated a certain way and how do we become fair and equitable? Those are the kind of people that I'm working with on a daily basis. So I walk out into the world sometimes thinking that everyone is like that. And they're yep. not. I have to remind myself. So it's it's like this thing, and I don't know if you've ever heard this. So among black people, we would uh, kind of tease that you have your work self and you have your home or friend self, right? And it's like, um, even uh, President Obama did like this skit one time where he had his translator or, or whatever there. And it's, it's like we can have conversations, have a certain amount of like comfort and be free and open in a certain way with family and with friends at home that we can't do at work. And even if we can, we usually won't because we don't trust it. Yep. You know, yeah. And I'm sure you may have, you may be the same in both, but there, you know, some, some people definitely yeah, not even black is, people. I, I am. Yeah. And I am also experienced in that it doesn't serve me. Right. It will bite mm. me in the ass. Whole other conversation. Right. So sure. there is a, right. a way in which we can talk about this. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be silent. It, I'm okay. going to keep trying. Right. But it means that I have to try a different approach. Absolutely. And Absolutely. oh, well. So that yeah. is the case. But like, you know, in going in, in, I want to go down the allyship route because, oh my God, you just said something. I can't, my brain just went blank. I, <laughs> We're talking um, about a lot. We're jumping around a lot here. But yeah, I mean, 
let's let yeah let's talk about allyship i don't know if there was something specific that you wanted to say but i think it's like especially important right now because i see on social media and people are reposting other people's that's that's what a lot of my friends are doing right now that are white and it's a first step so but is that is that really being an ally is that enough is that like what what does it mean to be an ally truly yeah so that's a great question um is it enough no um, does that mean you're an ally? Not necessarily, but it's at least a start of saying, I think this is wrong. Um, like there's this, whatever with social media that we think things that we post reflect how we feel about things. So all my, follow, all my friends are white and I'm posting something about it was wrong. You know what they did uh, to Ahmad or this police officer is wrong or whatever. There's this very subtle, I would call it like past of aggressive like kind of allyship like I'm gonna just kind of put this out there like I'm on the side I did my part I did my part you know um that's not enough but at least it's a first step right okay so it's a first step you put that out there where I think um we can where we need because I'm gonna say we as black people where we need your help the most was a couple of places first of all um people who were in positions of influence and power right? So you're in a position of influence and power. Um, You are a white person. You're sitting in boardrooms. You're sitting in political arenas, etc. that other people are not. You speaking out is huge. You being that one person, um, I always think about a trial where it's like, you know, you need everyone to convict, right? And you're that one person holding out. You literally can credit yourself with saving that person's life. So like we've got to start thinking about it that way. Yeah, like, be that one person to to say something, right? The other thing is is that um, supporting financially that's huge. Mm. There are a number of associations and organizations that are on the ground. There's a fund I saw that was just set up um, that I was looking at this morning where they are paying legal fees to get people bailed out of jail who have been um, arrested in Minneapolis and some of these other areas. Putting your money where your mouth is, is huge, right? So things that we care about, really care about, we tend to follow with supporting them financially as well. So if there's an organization that you believe in, that, et cetera, help out financially. Um, third is you may need to find a circle or find uh, some people, you know, of the opposite race, um, someone who's black, et cetera. If you're not sure about something, if you're uncomfortable, don't decide I'm just gonna do nothing because I don't want to offend people. I'm just going to say nothing because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Believe you me, most people would so prefer you to just come in and ask them, like, what can I do to help? Hey, I, I see this issue. I have this question. Can I, can I ask you? You know, And it, is, it does take a certain amount of bravery. And like, there's a little risk that goes into that, right? What's the worst thing the person can can say? They can be mean. Um, they can talk shit about you afterwards. Who really cares? I mean, I, I guess I, I don't care. So, but some people really do care, right? They can talk shit about you afterwards. But you know your intent. Um, the other thing that they can do is actually answer your question, give you some insight, help connect you in ways that you can really help. This is not a comfortable topic. The answer to this is not going to be something that happens super comfortably like we're gonna all have to get fucking uncomfortable i get uncomfortable every time my son pulls out the damn driveway i'm uncomfortable 
So in your privilege and in your whiteness, if your uncomfortableness is your friends may look and be like, oh my God, she posted whatever. Like, really? Oh my God, you just reminded me what I was going to ask. Speaking of the uncomfortableness and allyship, it goes because it's both. Do you think it's important that people watch the video of George? And by people, I mean white people. I think it is important that, uh, like, so I feel a little hypocritical saying this because I struggle to watch it. And it is, uh, it is, me too. It is really hard to watch. It, but it, it was really hard to watch. And if I could go back, Jamie, I wouldn't watch it. Okay. But I say that because it's like I have PTSD about certain things. And the, seeing that and hearing that and him calling his mother and him begging for his life and, you know, that was extremely traumatic for me. Like I've been fucked up for the last couple of days because of that amongst other things, you know, going on in the world. Um, but I do think it's super, super, super important that white people watch the film. It's so easy to see this as a black issue, as a black, like they've read the story, they've seen the main picture with the officer on his neck. So like, yeah, we get it. He had his knee on his neck. No, you need to watch all fucking 11 minutes of that. You need to watch, you need to watch, hear him begging for his life. You need to see them staying on top of him despite him begging for his life. You need to hear him calling for his mother. This grown, you know, man, you need to soak that in. Because one of the main differences between Blacks in America versus white people's perspective on this is we live this shit every day. And you watching the film is not you living it, but you get a small little, like, this is someone's reality. I can't even look at the picture of the police officer with his knee on his neck because every time I look at it, I insert pictures of men that I love. Like, I automatically can see... You know, my, that, that could be my son under there. That could be my dad. That could be my brother. It's like so easily interchangeable that it's fucking sickening. Yeah, wow. But this is our reality. You can't get upset and angry about this as a white person if you don't see what we're angry and upset about. Literally, literally. And I can speak to that because I was working all day on Tuesday and at some point I was like, okay, let me check this stuff. And I heard about it. And in my head, I was like, that's so sad. Another one, you know, and I watched the video yeah. and I had to force myself. And after I was completely shaken, it was really different. And, so, and you and I talked about that and it shook me to my core. Yeah. And it got me, like you said, a, that perspective in a way that you just can't get from reading an article. You, you, you can't, you can't. And so it's uncomfortable. Again, I get it. But like, I think okay, we, what about this is comfortable? <laughs> like, not, this is not supposed to be comfortable. If it was comfortable, it wouldn't be. And by the way, we've been comfortable as white people. Exactly. And the part of the problem is you're too fucking comfortable. That's what privilege is. You yep. are comfortable. Amen. Amen. You are comfortable and living on the same block with people who are going through trauma right now, right? Like when we talked the other day and I was telling you like, I can't even fucking talk about this shit right now. Like I'm mentally exhausted. I'm sad. I'm mad. You know, I have to, I'm talking to my children and they have mixed, I allow them to feel how they feel about things. And they have mixed opinions about how things are being handled. You know, one person like, oh, writing is terrible. And you know, why would we do that? That's not like helping the problem. And the other one is like, you know, fuck that without saying fuck that. 
because they can't say that in front of me. But basically, you know, like, fuck that. If they, you know, rioting, you burn down a building, so what? No one died. It's not like you, not like they killed somebody, right? And then I have a, another one who's like, look, we can keep turning the other cheek, but after a while, that cheek is going to be like real, like, fucked up. And like, you can't take anymore. Then what do you do? These are conversations that I can't, like, just decide whether or not I want to have. I have to have. I have to have. I have to prepare them for. Um, they know that I'm very vocal about things, so I need them to understand where I'm coming from, right? And they also need to be prepared when they go out here. These are things, these are comforts that you have that I don't have. So this is what privilege is. So yes, you may have to get a little uncomfortable. You may have to tell some people that you know, some white people that you know, that like their um, posts are, are fucking racist. And that though they think they're great, you know, Christians and doing all the fabulous stuff or whatever, you supporting certain things shows other otherwise, right? You may have to have uncomfortable conversations with black people that like, if you care, hey, you know, how can I help with this? I see that you are involved in XYZ. I see you posted something about this organization, like, can you tell me more about it? Is any and is everyone welcome to like join this, or is it just for you know black people? It's okay to ask those questions. So being an ally is just being yourself, wanting to do the right thing, being open and vulnerable. We have no choice but to be vulnerable. Like our rights are taken away from us, and so we don't have a choice. You have a choice in the matter, which is great, but that's what privilege is. And so if you choose to really make a difference here, if you choose to like want to help then you're choosing just that. And it's not going to always be comfortable. And just like be aware of that. I mean, I can speak to that myself. Yeah. Like, okay, I worked in diversity and inclusion. I have a loud mouth. I'm a martyr for a lot of things. <laughs> like that's, yes, you are. I can't help myself. And I am nervous every single time. Yeah. Comfortable. I How mean, do you do that? I was, I, I don't know, because to me, it's more important to have the conversation than my uncomfortableness. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't care. Like I was, if I'm being really honest, I was nervous to ask you and you're my good friend. Yeah. Um, and I was nervous because of all of the things that you said about being exhausted. Right. I know that. Yeah. And, and I'm like, okay, Mass Diana to talk to me. I saw your post <laughs> and I was like, here I am again asking, and excuse me, I don't mean this to be offensive, but this is how I think that you might feel. The okay. token black woman. Great. Yeah. Use my voice. I yeah. don't feel that way. I don't want to feel that way, but I can imagine that that might be how you feel, especially yeah. in the work that we did. Yeah. And I still asked you. Yeah. And you still said yes. Even yeah. though you told me I can't do it right, it was fine. Yeah. And... Uh, and I, I needed a whole day to like be able to wrap my brain, brain around being able to have this conversation, to be honest with you. Because I am tired and I'm sick and I'm mad and I want to be as open as possible. I want to care as much about allyship as you care about it. And at this moment, I don't know that I do. I care about Black people being safe and feeling like we can go out and do all the same things that everyone else does. I want my sons to be comfortable. I want my daughters to be comfortable in the country that their ancestors built over hundreds and hundreds of years. That's more important to me. But do I understand that allyship and understanding white 
people being able to help us get where we need to go and not only help us, but like, you know, in many, in many aspects, the change has to be there. It's just as essential. So I have to put some of my feelings and my trauma, my PTSD aside to have these type of conversations or we're never going to get any. And so we're asking you to do the same thing. Thank you. And you have the right to ask me to do the same thing. I mean, I feel like if you are a white person or let's say, because we're talking about specifically racism against black people as it relates to what's been happening over the last week. So if you're a white or another identify as another race, I would just say, if you care about the things that Deanna was just saying about her kids being able to go do all the same things that I was able to do or get the same education and job opportunities, if that's the stuff you care about, (laughs) then you should be having these conversations, period, end of subject, no debate. And it's, it's, I think that it is bullshit that it is on you to have this conversation with me, considering you're the one that has been dealing with the abuse for generations and generations. Why is that the case? Why are white people, why are we putting the responsibility? I mean, there are so many things that just don't make sense about that. So that, but that is the case. And if there's anybody that's watching this, that is willing to have another conversation with me about racism in America, please do it with me. If you are white and you're willing Let's yeah. do it. Let's talk about how we can change this. Yeah. Uh, and this is a first, this is a, this is a step in the direction we need to go in. Having these conversations and, you know, having these conversations regularly and making comfortable places for us to have these conversations, it's, it's, it's huge. And so we've got to figure out a way to do that and to do that on an ongoing basis. But absolutely. And Jamie, I just want to tell you, thank you for being brave enough to have these conversations um, thank you for putting yourself out again, even coming to ask me to do this again. I know you thought twice about it because you knew that I'm like going through things, but, uh, putting yourself out there, the worst I could have said was no. Right. Um, and sometimes we just have to put ourselves out there. So thank you. Please continue having these conversations. Anything that I can do, I will tell you that I feel like very blessed that in my work and in my um, kind of social, I, I know many uh, white people who legitimately are good people and care about stuff and want to make a difference. And many of them are not sure about how to do it. And so I really applaud you for opening this up. And so let's just, you know, get this conversation out there. Let's see how we can reach the masses and, um, and just go from there, you know? Thank you for all that you said. Um, it's the least I can do. Um, thank you for having the conversation with me truly. And for being willing to do it live on Facebook. I'm like looking now, I'm grateful that people watch this and hopefully they will keep watching it. I have a question for you. So you thank me for doing this. I want to know is, did I could, is there something that I could have said different or better? Is there a question that I should be asking that I didn't? Um, were you comfortable in this conversation? I just, cause I don't know. I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything that I could be doing wrong. So Jamie, I know you didn't mean to do that, but like that's a the that is a perfect example of like what you should do. When we're having these conversations, when you're wanting to help as a white person, Jamie's question to me about how I took things or how whatever is important. And it's important for me. I care about you as a human being. I want to make sure our dialogue continues because my ultimate goal is for black men not to like die and get strangled on the street. So whatever I need to do to figure that out. Me too. I want to figure out, right? Okay, so we have the same ultimate goal here, right? Which is what makes this conversation 
even doable. Uh, but I think you you did a good job. You're naturally inquisitive, so I think that um, you're obviously very conscious of, of being that way and doing that. Um, so I, I think that is important. I do think that as you're doing these conversations, um, I do see value in you having these conversations with people of different races and different backgrounds, and in particular around this, you know, uh, Black folks, I think is great. But I do think it's going to be imperative that these conversations help that you're having these conversations with white women as well. And so if there's ever anything that I can do to help you be able to do that or to do that in a meaningful way or in a, a way that they're comfortable, let me know. But I think that this is great. And this is a great first step and something I need to, to spread to the masses. Thank you, Deanna. So I, I hear my my baby has okay. <laughs> okay, right. by the Talk way, you later, Jamie. thanks so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You can go, Deanna. Anyone that doesn't know Deanna, she has a newborn baby, a month. His name is Deshaun, and he's so cute. And you've been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, All right. you. Thank you. Awesome. I love Bye. you, Deanna. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One World Your Story podcast. If you enjoyed hearing this story and you wish to hear more, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. And of course, follow us on Instagram at One World Your Story. From all of us here at the One World Your Story podcast, we are sending you so much joy and love. Have a wonderful rest of your day.